Welcome to the latest advocacy episode of the AUA's Inside Track podcast. We're joined today by Mr. John Fortin. He's a prostate cancer survivor and a very active patient advocate. John currently serves on the AUA's Public Policy Council as our patient advocacy liaison. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved into the work with the patient advocacy. Well, I was a healthcare actuary for many years throughout my entire career. And as some of you may know, healthcare actuary is kind of an arcane profession. We're health data geeks. I headed up health data analytics for a consulting firm on a national basis. So my expertise is mortality and morbidity. And uh, the Society of Actuaries, of which I'm a fellow, uh, their quote is to basically uh, recognize the importance of research. The quote is, the work of science is to substitute facts for appearances. So my profession is totally embracing rigorous evidence-based medicine. So I'm very aligned uh, with the AUA. Personally, <laughs> I have way too much experience with kidney, bladder, and prostate issues. If the AUA were to give uh, frequent flyer points, I'd be a platinum-level member. In any event, that's a little bit about me. So at what point did you become interested in the advocacy work? Was it before you became a patient? Was it during that time? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, prior to 2014, I had no clue what advocacy even meant. But back in 2014, after I was diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer, uh, I just started to get a better awareness uh, of advocacy. And by the way, my own prostate cancer situation uh, was a great outcome. I was identified early. I was treated early. had a PSA test and so forth. And so uh, at this point in my life, there's no evidence of disease, knock on wood. Uh, so, but basically in 2014, after I was treated and went through the process, I realized a lot of things. First, many men don't see their doctors on a regular basis. Women, I think, are a lot better about, about this than men. Also, many just don't even get their PSA checked. When diagnosed, some men are just afraid. And it's hard to think clearly when someone's afraid. Then they find there's a huge learning curve, very steep learning curve. Some men report they feel like they're drinking water out of a fire hose, just way too much. And they have a hard time getting any kind of I guess you might call it consensus. They might go to three different doctors and get three different opinions about what's best to do. So it's very, very hard. And I, again, I just call it a kind of a perfect storm, you know, and also it's just real hard to discuss urological issues, whether it's bladder or kidney, you know, it doesn't matter. I think there's almost a stigma to attaching this. We may not even want to share the information with our family, uh, our friends. And so it's really hard. But more and more that I understood this, I thought, you know, I really, with my patient background and my healthcare actuarial background, to me, it sounded like the perfect role where I could help others going forward. So right now I lead or co-lead support groups in the Atlanta area. I share tips with patients without giving any clinical advice whatsoever. And I study prostate cancer extensively every day. Each year, I cover a number of clinical conferences as a journalist for Euro Today. 
And this role helps me keep very current and share with over 150,000 monthly followers what's going on uh, in the world of prostate cancer. So basically, uh, you know, that's the role I've been playing as an, as an advocate. So what were your goals and objectives when you were interested in the patient advocacy liaison position on the AUA's Public Policy Council? What, what, what did you want to get out of that? Well, I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, frankly, it's a brand new position. And, you know, normally I'd go into a position and consider applying for it and kind of look at what's working, what's not, talk to the previous, you know, people who have served in that role and really make a commitment. I don't like to make commitments unless I'm all in. But this is a brand new job position, and it's volunteer, of course. But to me, again, it looked like an incredible honor to represent so many patients. And it looked like an amazing opportunity to work on committees with clinicians and researchers who are the best of the best. Amazingly, and I still don't understand it, they reach out to me and really want to listen to patient perspectives. Uh, they're very serious and they really want to understand, even though they work with patients all day, even though they themselves are patients, they want to have me uh, give my position representing all your logical patients. So, uh, you know, for me, I just really enjoy it. I find like it's a perfect role. Uh, it is daunting because I represent not just the old white guys like me, <laughs> I represent all ages genders, races, and diseases. They're urological. I can't say it. Let's say that sentence over again, Casey. <laughs> so, I represent all ages, genders, races, and diseases that work on urological issues. So, this is a daunting challenge as I'm going up a very steep learning curve so that I can better represent all patients. Yeah, and what is the real value of a patient being involved in advocacy, in your opinion? Great question. You know, I think the word advocacy is used in many different ways. I don't think it has a really crisp definition. So, you know, tomato, tomato, I don't want to try to define it. But I'll give you examples of what advocacy means to some people. To some advocates, they enjoy working in a local support group environment they find that they can run and facilitate a local support group meeting and get to help local people. And you don't have to be an expert. You just have to be a good facilitator. Uh, show some energy, bring in some good speakers, help people. Another rule for an advocate might be to focus on elevating awareness of their cause, whether it's uh, a particular organ or curing or whatever the cause may be. Focus on the cause that you embrace and do a good job at elevating awareness, for example. Other patients can, you know, help early treatment, early diagnosis, better prognosis. Some advocates embrace research. They really enjoy the research side to get better treatments. You know, they might play a role on an IRB board or clinical trials or helping write patients from a patient's perspective. There are a lot of volunteer positions needed for advocates. Uh, and I didn't realize that, but there are a lot of people wanting advocates to uh, help the clinicians and researchers. Of course, some advocates enjoy educating uh, local legislators, you know, going to your state capital, 
you know, going to people who uh, represent you in Congress at a national level. So I think the important thing all of these have in common is do what you enjoy doing. Try something, you know, see if it works for you. If not, try something else. There's a, there are a lot of different roles you can play. No matter what role an advocate takes, I think there's one thing in common. You're sending a message to people that you care. And that's so powerful. You don't have to be an actuary. You don't have to be a doctor. Just showing people you care. As I was about to um, start this conference call with you today, I was ready to make the call, and I got a text message. And it's from a patient who I found about a month ago, and he had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And this gentleman has the most aggressive type of disease. It's, it's called a Gleason Gray Group 5. On a scale of 1 to 5, he's a 5. Newly diagnosed. He had no idea he had this. And, you know, I just kind of pointed in the right direction. He went to a very good academical medical center, happens to be Duke. And he went to Dr. Dan George, one of the best in the world. And he kind of went from there. And he, he's now in treatment. And, uh, you know, he was just reaching out to me and giving me feedback about the role that I had played in getting him on the right track. Uh, so it's just very gratifying, no matter whether you're working on one patient or helping you know, an entire community. I find it very rewarding. Again, I want to ask your opinion on something. How can physicians work with patients to maximize their work with lawmakers? Well, you know, I think that's, again, a surprise to me. But just like advocates on the patient side, you know, the, the clinicians find they have different roles to play. And many of them understand the importance of working with legislators. It is so important to educate our legislators. They really aren't experts. Uh, they really don't understand the need for research. They don't understand the issues we have. Um, you know, there's some abuses going on in the United States. And, you know, by helping educate them, we don't get surprise bills. You know, a lot of us might have gone to a particular hospital thinking it's in our network and all of a sudden, you know, we get a surprise bill for $10,000. Maybe it was a radiologist or an anesthesiologist or pathologist or an emergency room doctor. You know, I thought that hospital was in my network. But, oh, lo and behold, one of the doctors practicing there, you know, isn't in the network. So we, we have great physicians who are concerned about those kinds of issues, and they're delighted to educate our legislators. It's an abuse. We need to fix it. Uh, there are a lot of other things that, you know, legislators need to know, um, you know, and I'm not saying there's a right or wrong position to take on all of these issues, but in California, for example, they're embracing transparency You know, in California, uh, maybe for right, the right or wrong, but they would like to see more transparency where when a patient goes for treatment, whether it's a drug or what have you, the patient has a better understanding of what it might cost him. You know, in the old days, this wasn't important to the patient because we had low co-pays and so forth. But now with $5,000 deductibles, and many, many people don't have to, you know, we're not covered by insurance. We can't afford it. There are a lot of issues where transparency helps many patients. So, again, there's no right or wrong position on some of these. Some are very difficult issues. But a lot of doctors in the AUA have taken a leadership position in going to the Hill to represent and educate uh, to, to legislators who uh, can benefit from hearing what's going on in neurology. What types of advice do you give to patients about speaking up on these urologic issues? And can you tell us some of the tips you might give to, to some patients? 
you know, some patients really don't <laughs> have any desire uh, to get engaged. So to them, I'd give them one tip, you know, get your spouse engaged. You know, again, some patients just are, and they can't process, they can't listen. Patients get to work with, record the meeting with a doctor with a doctor's permission. You know, doctors don't want to repeat themselves 10 times. So take good notes and record it. Some other tips and tricks, find the very best doctor. <laughs> My father told me 60 years ago, John, when you ever get in trouble in a medical issue, get the very best doctor. And I really, really respect that advice. Um, you know, be willing to travel. You know, for some ailments, I suppose you can just get local treatments, and it's very, very straightforward. For some other issues, I would strongly encourage patients to travel to the extent that they have the resources to travel and get the best care. Uh, again, locally might be fine, but for a patient, a child with uh, extra fee or some person with new endocrine disease or needs a GU medical oncologist, it may just not be available in the community. You really need to understand that the best care is what you need and find a way to get it. So for a lot of patients, you can simply try to get the right person to represent you. For other patients, go up that learning curve yourself. Read what you can. Go to support group meetings. Listen to tips and tricks from people in your community. They can guide you on you know, what they've learned. They've been down that road. You don't need to go down that road. <laughs> They've been down that. Of course, you have to take with a grain of salt. Uh, some have bonded with their physicians and some have bonded with the treatment they've received. Some have opinions that aren't great. But going to support group meetings is very, very valuable. And I've learned a lot. A support group meeting is not about singing kumbaya. It's real, competent people giving competent advice on real issues. You know, where can I go for this kind of test? What kinds of doctor questions should I ask when I take my next visit to the doctor? Details. So you'll learn a lot there. Uh, but it's a challenge to learn. But one of the real messages is find a doctor who, you know, is aligned with you, someone who listens to you, someone who takes time, someone who maybe thinks outside the box a little bit, uh, instead of just, you know, giving every patient the same advice, maybe this doctor's a little more creative, uh, you know, maybe customizes care a little bit and really tweaks it to see what's best for you. But, uh, and get second opinions. Get second opinions and get second opinions. A lot of what doctors do is extremely complex. And they may know their subspecialty extremely well, but it doesn't hurt to go to a different specialty or go to the same specialty and ask a lot of questions and you know, be very comfortable with your treatment plan. Don't go too slow, but don't rush the treatment. Any other final thoughts before we end the interview? So finally, I really would like to give a big shout out to the AUA patient advocacy team. They're amazing people. They work long hours and give me a real appreciation for what the staff at the AUA do. So in closing, thank you so much for doing this interview today. And thank you to everyone at AUA for supporting patients. Our guest today on the AUA Inside Track podcast has been John Fortin. John currently serves on the AUA's Public Policy Council as our patient advocacy liaison. Thank you for listening to the AUA Inside Track podcast, an official podcast of the American Urological Association. For more information, please visit auanet.org.